we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. Practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? See, cause he's an intimidating personality. Like everybody this, is this kissing his nuts. butt. Everybody's kissing his butt the whole time, but I come at him. People always talk about he's handsome. He's not handsome. Give it to him. Give it to him. Boom, shakalaka. Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr in the face during a practice, right? That was me was the coolest thing I ever saw. Brian, to shot. What you gonna do about it? Huh? What you gonna do about it? Did you know you were actually this good? No. <laughs> From the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network, this is an Irishman Abroad Inside Basketball. Kieran Donaghy is a Kerry Gaelic football and hardwood legend. A three-time All-Star and four-time All-Ireland winner on the field would be enough for most people. But this man did it on the court too. And today we get to hear the rarely told story of this Irish sporting great and his journey inside the game of basketball and how it paved the way for him to achieve at the levels he did on the field. But this isn't just a story of how basketball facilitated sporting success later elsewhere. This is a story of a man who played two sports at once. An Irish Bo Jackson, if you will. Often he'd be ending a football training session, caked in mud and drive to play a competitive basketball game miles away. Kieran Donaghy is now, of course, retired from football, but he continues to change the game of basketball by revitalising the Irish game night experience through innovation, hard work, and as you'll hear here, a absolute love for this game. Well, our chosen charity partner at Irishman Abroad is Jigsaw.ie. And if you're a young person or if you have a young person in your life and they're struggling or just need someone to talk to about their mental health, visit Jigsaw.ie and their team of consultants will be able to assist you free of charge. I'm supporting them because I know how hard it is to grow up and how hard it is to find the mental health skills needed to survive in life. Basketball helped me in a big way. Maybe Jigsaw.ie can do the same or more for you. To hear all the Irishman Abroad interviews, gain access to hundreds of interviews with Irish sporting legends, and to gain access to our live-streamed monthly stand-up comedy club, sign up to Premium Irishman Abroad on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Kieran Donaghy, it's brilliant to have you on Irishman Inside Basketball. I guess for a lot of listeners, they'll know a bit like uh, Liam McHale that, you know, you were a two sport athlete. But really, it seems from everything I've read that basketball was the sport that really you fell in love with, that you completely got that kind of addiction to. And that began when you kind of discovered this rusty old hoop that's stuck to the side of a wall at a relations house. Do you remember that time and do you remember what it was that you experienced that so many people experience with the game? The actual getting it in the hoop for the first time that becomes so addictive. Yeah, and and even the ball. So like, you know, coming from Kerry where football is the main sport. I had lots of footballs in my hand when I was young, but I was five and up to the north, up to my dad's part of the country we just moved up there to live uh, for a while so I was five four and a half years in Kerry and I went up to the north and yeah I just remember going to my auntie Gloria's house and um, 
their daughters were, were very good went on to be very good netball players and, and played for Northern Ireland and uh, they had just this, this hoop on a wall outside and they had obviously a netball but there was a basketball there a black one with all different coloured segments every second one was black but all the other ones were red, green and orange and I was like what is this ball like <laughs> And uh, yeah, I went over and picked it up and felt all the kind of pimples on it. And I was like, oh, no. yeah, and and said to my dad, you know, what's this? And he's like, yeah, that's a basketball. It's a girl's game. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he no, did he dismiss in, he it in, that way. He dismissed it that way. And he was in a house that did have a few girls that were all playing it and mm. the boys weren't playing it. So in his eyes, it was a girl's game. Like me, probably very uneducated at the time, both basketball. So I won't hold that answer against him too much. But uh, yeah, certainly it went away and just been the young fellow with a ball and, and outside shooting and, and as you said getting that first one in yeah and that was that's what kind of planted the seed even though it never really became an option there wasn't teams here I wasn't playing you know I was always only tipping away in, in primary school They were, I remember they were able to have lower rims in, in primary school you know and by the time we got to kind of fourth and fifth class you know, uh, you know, you were nearly able to dunk it on the very low when it was at its bottom point, which was probably about seven foot now, I would say, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a good drop off in it, but that was certainly uh, my first introduction with, yeah, yeah, introduction with the game. And as you said, then like you know, that that ignited the spark. We'll say. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there, right? And you open up about all of this in your book. Really, really amazing sports book that people should read. Still available everywhere. What do you think of that? And, you know, so first of all, Kieran, it's incredibly brave of you to write the book the way you wrote the book with the challenges you faced in writing the book in terms of your own literary skills and the challenges you faced in school. You say it lit the spark and rage comes up in relation to sport all the time in terms of athletes. When did you get to a point with any sport where you started to think I can vent through this? Probably about 12 you know, I would have been playing a bit of basketball at that stage and I was kind of one of the kind of the worst players. I was the worst player in the team. I was the guy that was picked last when I was when I was playing my first year under thirteens, we'll say, which was the first kind of at that time that was the first kind of competitive basketball that you would have been able to play. Uh was that age group in, in Kerry, you know. And uh it's great nowadays they've blitzes for under eights and under sixes and there's loads of basketball. But back then it was under thirteens and my first mm. year under twelve I was, you know, I, I I'd been that guy who'd you know, picked up the ball that time and kind of started shooting around, but never really took it too, too seriously on, until I went to the basketball club at 12 and realised that whatever I was doing in school or, or anywhere else wasn't good enough to be up to the level of these guys. And I was a year younger as well, and I was quite small at the time. So, you know, and I was obviously, as you said, struggling with the dyslexia in school and, you know, kind of put the two of them kind of together almost during the summer of 95 kind of 96 where I went away maybe 94 95 I kind of went away and just that summer I got a, a proper hoop put up in the house and um I shot every, <clears throat> every day four or five hours just became totally obsessed was getting old videotapes sent over from the states from from a cousin of mine 
you know, coming over here, seeing the Milwaukee Bucks with Terry Cummings and Sidney Moncrief and these fellas taking on the Celtics. And it would be one videotape, but there could be four NBA games on it. They could have been a year old, but to me, they happened yesterday. Yeah, no, these are the, I know the types of tape you were talking about because it was so, again, there's another thing that a lot of listeners won't even realise was that, you know, these tapes were our porno, you know. Yeah, you, yeah. You would, this tape would get passed around. Uh, you'd get passed around, yeah, and you wouldn't <laughs> be able to hold on to it for too long. Yeah, somebody, somebody's after uh, breaking the tape and there's war over it. But the, yeah, it got they, caught up in the video recorder. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, but no, it was, that was the, that was the goal of it, like, and, and getting them old tapes and, and what rewatching all them and finding out about guys like Larry Bird and you know, the level these guys were at. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be either watching basketball or playing basketball, you know, and that's certainly the rage was, you know, there was issues at home with my family life, with my mom and dad as well. And it was all happening around the same time. And basketball mm. for me was my, escape. was my, yeah, it was an escape. And then when the games were on, you know, I could be, because I'm very kind of kind-natured, relaxed, kind of normal, normal fella most of the time but whatever happens when I get on in between white lines something else kind of takes over and you know that's just the way it's always been and I wouldn't change it for the world because it got me out of so much trouble when I was when I you know was in it in certain games and was just able to keep fighting through it and, and come out the other side and that's you yeah, know that's probably you. something that stood to me over my career yeah so do you know, for a, a lot of people, the basketball bug didn't bite. For a lot of people, it wasn't on the table. But the tradition in Kerry is strong and uh, Tralee specifically was strong. I mean, I definitely credit the bug that bit me to those tapes, those kind of things. There's a coach, John O'Connor, in my school who showed us Come Fly With Me. And it was, you know, it was so glossed and shined up and presented by NBA entertainment to be this otherworldly thing where athletes who would normally be considered freaks, kind of giants, <laughs> are able to sprint faster than anyone you've ever known and jump higher than anybody you've ever known. But they, I can specifically remember watching it the way, you know, the way someone would see uh, a rock star on the TV and becoming obsessed with that. Do you do you visually remember seeing those things and actually go, throwing the ball through the hoop is one thing, but nearly the aspirational element of the colour and light that came with the game. Was that something that kind of created the love? It was, and you're certainly right, you know, come fly with me and I'd all them and I knew them all off by heart and there were Christmas presents from Senti or whatever at the time and you know that was one part of it but for me you know the real the real ignition was was the basketball here in Chile at the Irish Super League level Chile had a very good squad at the time and did an American from Old Dominion called uh, Ricardo Leonard who, who in some game that year kind of did very well against Alonso Morning like had better numbers on him on the boards and, 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 and rebound or on the boards and points so we got this guy over here to Chile and yeah, he, he was he was the first rock star that, that I remember kind of really looking at from a from a bird's eye level, whereas you obviously the Jordans and these guys you were you were starting to know them, but kind of 
or Jordan uh, was was playing with the Tralee Tiger, Gary's Tralee Tigers at the time, and he was. Um, how did how did Ricardo Leonard from the star of Old Dominion Division One NCAA basketball? Do you remember the story of how he even got there? No, don't know how he got there. Don't know who made the call at the so time strange. when there was no mobiles and internet and emails and all that. I I, I don't know how it was even done. It's actually. Should be probably something that there's there's something in talking to the old clubs around Ireland about how they got Americans back in the eighties when the game was 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 absolutely massive in Ireland and mm. you know it had a very cult following but within that cult following you know it, it managed to get on national TV every weekend and it was something that was really you'd love for the the, the current game which is at a very high standard here in Ireland to be projected like that you know on TV and, and for kids to see that geez I could be on TV if I play this game whereas mm. there's very little of that unfortunately bar the cup final but you know I uh, how he got here I don't know but when he came here 54 points in his first game and, six, and you were eight, there for that lean, and I was there for that and we waited for an hour afterwards in the scrum for, for autographs at the time the following week Rick thought he cracked this he said I'm not going to be an hour and a half after every game signing autographs so he cracked it he got onto his college he got these baseball cards made he thought he hit the jackpot he came back with these baseball cards they were super cool all his stats from his four years at Old Dominion a cool picture of him and a, an autograph that was printed onto the to the baseball card as such <laughs> you know which was great but of course unfortunately for Rick uh, the young Irish kids we wanted to see the autograph written down and we wanted to have two autographs front and back. So <laughs> yeah. Rick ended up giving, probably paying for all this merchandise maybe and, and, and getting it made and then uh, unfortunately having to do the exact same thing every night. But yeah, he was he was a colossus. And, you know, you talk about images of me as a youngster. When they won the league in, in, in um, 95, 96, Budweiser were sponsoring the league and you know back then there wouldn't be the, the razzmatazz like the NBA games with the introductions and smoke machines and lights going off but Budweiser having sponsored the league and this was be the trophy handover night if Tralee won this game and they were playing the local rivals Killarney in, in the in the complex in Tralee so it was a bumper crowd packed local derby had everything but Budweiser came down and put on a show. They had light machines, they had smoke machines, the lights went off, the boys came running out, they did socks, you know, champion sports socks, I think, or something, throwing them out to the crowd. I knew all the players at this stage because I used to watch every single training session, which is what I probably put down to the fact that I was the top rebounder in, in the Super League for the last few years was, was kind of rebounding for these guys on a constant basis every few nights that's all I did was rebound and throw it out to them for the first kind of 20 minutes of training and I got used to where the ball went off it but I was doing all that on the back of going to watch this game and this game was the first game where I remember something like that smoke machines I was sitting in the crowd chills going up the eye of the tiger coming on in the background and our boys our boys from Tralee jogging out doing a lap of kind of honour circling around like a like a line at circle, a tent going around the, the Killarney players at the bottom end and coming back up and straight into the layup line and the dunks by Rick. And so that's all we wanted to see. And that's all I, I wanted to be. And kind of from that moment on, I wanted to go on and, and play for Tralee, which was my NBA guess. I was re real enough to, to probably understand I wouldn't be going to the, to the NBA. But um, certainly the Super League was, was, was one I felt was attainable if I kept putting in the work that I was. And, and at that stage, I was now 14 and I was scoring regularly 30 points a game in underage level in Kerry. I was starting to get, get noticed. I was a year ahead of myself. I was on the southwest of Ireland team. So all this stuff started kind of really happening, but it was all based on the back of going up to the complex. Vinnie Murphy was our own Dennis Rodman. 
He used to dye his hair every night green one night, tiger stripes another night, all red another night. You know, we just thought he was mad and the coolest thing ever. Uh, and between himself and Rick and, and John Tien, who I went on to play with as well. To, it to, was to, glamour. To see the, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was our, it was our glamour. Like I'm talking about, you would have your best Nike tracksuit on, you'd have your best <laughs> basketball boots on. You know, there was a bit of activity at halftime behind the behind the evergreen trees at halftime. <laughs> Fellas would get out and get a bit of a bit of action, and 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 rush back in for the third quarter. So the shift, as we used to call it back then, couldn't last more than, than ten minutes, or, or or the game be missed. So <laughs> unless she was an absolute ten out of ten. I wasn't missing the third quarter. <laughs> so that gym rat existence and, you know, that period of time, when you say you're getting these these points, you still, uh, is this pre your growth spurt? Because you jumped from 5'6 to 6'4 in the space of one year. And as anyone who's read any kind of uh, basketball history will know from Anthony Davis right down to Dennis Rodman this is a kind of a common thread that players who were once the tiniest guy on the team who throw on this huge growth spurt in a very short period of time retain the guard skills in the body of a big man Yeah I think we've, we've seen it pretty much in the last dance with, with, with Jordan when he was at Laney High the growth spurt and obviously Scotty Pippen and, and Rodman had, had something similar so yeah like that I was you know, I was a point guard in the Irish national team as a 15-year-old captain, smallest player in the team, but I had my ball handling skills. I could shoot the three. I was able to run an offense. I was tigerish enough in defense to make up for any lack of size, and that was where I felt like my future was. And, you know, Vinny would have been a point guard for the Tigers, and I loved his game and how he ran the game. So I was kind of concentrating on him all the time. But, you know, as you said, at, at, at 16 or 17, I, I just got hit this growth spurt and, and, and you know, went from... A small point guard, you know, a kind of a lanky three, you know, maybe even four in 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 high school or college or whatever or, or grade school, whatever it's called mm. over there. But that's that was my kind of that was my growth spurt, and then starting to figure out in both codes that I was playing at the time, I guess how I could use this height. And I always had big hands. The boys used to call me Krusty the Clown because. <laughs> I was the smallest player and I, this was the Super League boys now like you know they'd be like hey man you know, the Americans would be like you know I'd be like what's the show you man 12 oh yeah I'll take them off you I'll take them off you at the end of the season ha 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 <laughs> and he was like man you ain't size 12 and I'd pick up my shoe and I was size 12 even though I was only 13 or 14 and they were like god damn and they were like you got these big ass hands too why are you so short and all this you know but so when all that happened inside these big huge hands you know I was 6'3 and yeah, it was just try to how can I optimize this extra was six or seven inches with with my game? And quickly, I started not shooting the ball at all anymore, and and kind of driving everything to the basket because I was able to, and I had the I had the skills to get to the hoop, mm. and there was more automatic for me to get layups than than be trying to shoot trees, and it actually affected a small bit my senior career not being as good as a shooter as I was when I was 14 or 15 because at 14 or 15 I was you know I was pretty pretty good shooter but um would have only been an average shooter early on in my career and probably maybe a more a Dennis Rodman by the end of my career where I hit an odd crazy three but I was basically out there for defense and rebounds for yeah. the latter part of my career but yeah it was that growth spurt that that kind of turned my game around I suppose you mentioned the two codes there and obviously our focus is basketball but it is it is does need to be mentioned just that in the same way as basketball is the obsession in New York 
that's the Mecca, that's the birthplace of the whole thing and the whole culture emanates from there. Football in Kerry is truly a religion. To anyone that doesn't understand this, maybe try and put in context what it is to play for your county down there and where exactly does basketball or has basketball fitted in to, I guess, the hierarchy of sporting importance and is there any connection between basketball as a kind of off-season training for, for to all intents and purposes? Yeah, I think there's certainly a huge degree of merit in that. I would say, you know, the current Dublin team who are, you know, the pinnacle of the, of the sport in Ireland with, with five All-Irelands in a row, you know, they have very much optimised the basketball asset of, of Gaelic football now. You know, they're super smart. They're great decision makers. They know what to do. They know when to do it. They know the plan. They know if they need to go into a press where fellas are supposed to be. They know if they're in a defensive mode, who's sitting, who's sweeping. They've, they've all angles covered and they're the most complete team that ever has played the game because of, one, their ability in, in a bunch of players, but for their decision-making and their, and their basketball prowess. So for me and Kerry, you know, like, you know, I, I equate it to when I used to go in with my backwards baseball hats and my velour U-tip tracksuit that I got off of Rice Malwood who played in 2005 when I used to go into Kerry training with that kind of stuff on you know fellas would be laughing at me they'd be laughing at the fact nearly that I played basketball you know they would have just kind of not considered it that but like when I left the Kerry dressing room in 2018 after 15 years it had turned around to where you know there's lots of guys in the squad would know more about who's got extra cap room in the NBA and who's going to draft this guy and why and know who, they know who free agents are when fellas free agency is up and mm. you know and I'd be kind of going whoa you know so for but but it is football like Kerry is football and it will always be football but there is very much pockets of even going back over over time with Johnny Cullity and 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 all these guys you know, John Dowling, they all played a bit of bit of basketball, you know, and it certainly, you know, helped their, their football career too. It would have been a big thing back in the day that the, all the Tony forwards from Clarny and from Tralee would have all played basketball. So, but football is, look, it, it is the mecca. Like, you know, we, we, we go up and we, we regularly fill 86,000 seater stadium that people just love to go to. You get that buzz, you, you're representing your own people. It's very parochial. There's no um, transfer windows. It's it's. There's not getting out of there if if, if things aren't going well or the coach doesn't like you. You just got to stick it out. You got to find a way at times to win guys over or let your game win guys over. And uh, but it was it was a truly enjoyable fifteen year career that I would have never have thought because as you said, basketball was my first love. So basketball was always first mm-hmm. in my eyesight and. Like even when I go back to think about it, like in two thousand and six, I was trying to get on the Kerry team. I was on the panel for two years. You know, we're playing Killarney in a local derby on a Wednesday night inside in Tralee, and I'm over in Killarney training with the Kerry football team. And I'm we're back in in start of season where the basketball is coming towards the end of the season. And you know, I'm in training with Kerry, so I know how how privileged I am to be even in there. So the last thing you'd want some young fella coming up to you as a manager who's trying to get on the Kerry team is him telling you. What I went up to the manager and said, which was, yeah, it's eight o'clock now, Jack. I'm training for the last hour and fifteen minutes, but we've no game there tonight. Can I, can I, can I, can I skip off? Can I, can I tip mm-hmm. away, go over and play the second half of the basketball game? And you know, obviously, different times. You couldn't even get away with that now. No. You'd be laughed at. You'd be kicked out the door. You'd be dropped. You'd be said, "This fella has no interest." Whereas I had massive interest, but I also had massive love and interest for a basketball game that was happening over in my local town against my local rivals. So I was like, "I got to get over there." So hard, I hightailed it across hard. the back. Yeah. 
I hightailed across the back road at high speed in my football gear, no, like just boots off, just driving in my socks, and uh, got to the complex and ran in. It was half time, we were down nine. Got into the dressing room. This is again where the Americans find it hilarious. Like they see me coming in with muddy knees and dirt everywhere, <laughs> and they're like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "What? Where's my number ten, lads?" On with the basketball jersey, out with the basketball boots, and yeah, went out and went to war for another twenty minutes in the second half, and and we ended up winning winning the game. And but like you know, stuff that I shouldn't have been really doing when I was mm. trying to break through to to what is the mecca of sport down here. I was still very passionate about my basketball and still wanted to play it at a very high level and, you know, was hungry for success after having a league and a cup at that stage. I wanted more on the basketball scene as well as wanting more on the football and, and felt I had the ability and the energy more so to do it. So obviously the case was made to you a few times. Cut this out. Stop yeah. this nonsense. This thing's going nowhere. You may be in love with this, but this is your priority. This is, like I say, this is the religion here. You can't be going off and worshipping false gods, essentially. Yes. And there must have been the suggestion that you were being a bit selfish in that way. Yeah, possibly. I always felt, you know, at, at the early start of the, of the football season, you know, uh, look, I had to make that call in 2009, six years into my, my Kerry mm. career. You know, we were in four Ireland finals in a row at that stage, five actually. And, uh, yeah, the Jack O'Connor returned from his sabbatical after Pat O'Shea led us to uh, an All-Ireland win in 07 and a loss in 08. We were now getting back on track with Jack in 09 and Jack had to talk with myself and kind of said, look here, we just won the league the year previous with the with the, with the the Tigers in, in dramatic circumstances. Our, our American CJ Hadley broke his index finger on a Friday night shoot-around, the same shoot-around. Our point guard from Greece, Parrot Skitsimpas, he was going out under for a layup and landed on a ball and broke his ankle. And we went up to Limerick to play Colester, who were stacked with Irish internationals, Damien Seeley and Pete Madsen and all these guys. And there were there were Paddy Kelly, Jonathan Grinnell, and they had Arno Dahi and Michael Bonaparte, who's still playing in the league now here. And they were stacked and they'd won the cup that year. And we went up to the the league game in Limerick with, with only one American who got fouled out halfway through the third quarter and myself and Quirk Quirk at 27 and I 25 and we led us led our team down the stretch and, and, and were able to get a win and so I was still very much in basketball mode in my head at this stage but you know probably unfortunately for me on both fronts because I felt I always played better football when I was actually playing basketball both the start and the end of my career were were much higher points in the actual middle of, of, of the mm. middle of it when I gave up the game of basketball. So I look back in that now and I say, you know, it definitely had an effect on me. You know, it had an effect on my hands, my 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 vision, my ball speed, how quickly I was able to win it, my decision making. You know, it de- it definitely it definitely affected me. But um, and it is there is also an argument that it, in some way, made your mind more agile that you weren't yeah. entirely absorbed in like there's a presence needed to play sport. Now, I've never played it at the levels that you did, but just being in the moment and switched on, as you say, the dexterity needed to get to balls that like that's a that that on a football field isn't as frequent as and as intense as it is on the basketball court. 100%. So surely that's why, the impact. Hence why the, yeah, hence why the McHales and the Jason Sherlock's and 
You know, yeah. the Mike Quirks, Ronan McGarrity's, myself, Michael Darren McCauley. You see all the top basketballers that have played GEA, you rarely see them make a mistake or bad decisions. They might make mistakes, but they'll be skill error mistakes. They won't be decision make based where you watch a lot of the game and a lot of errors are actually bad decisions before the skill ever happens. It's, it's never on why you're trying to do that, but the decision to, might, you know, be that extra bit careful with it, maybe a bit more accurate, that all comes from basketball and decision making because in basketball in the, in the game, I can make 300, I could make 500 decisions in a basketball game mm. you know am I going to help do I defend this guy do I go for the steal here am I going for this rebound am I boxing out am I passing here am I, am I looking at a shot am I going to drive do I dribble left handed there's decisions going on in your head Constantly and also relative the, to the, the place you are in the game the, correct, the, the score that's the, on the board yeah you're, look, you're looking at the score you're looking at the situation you know, I'd have fallen out with a manager, Jack O'Connor, in 2011 for that reason alone. Like, you know, because I was giving out, he said, after an All-Ireland win against Mayo, which I was actually relatively poor and kicked one point, but but got beaten by Jerk Africa, the Mayo full-back. And, you know, I remember after the game, we were in training following Tuesday night and we we're three weeks out from an All-Ireland final against Dublin. And, and Jack was like, OK, lads, all the cards on the table now. And, you know, what do we need to get better and what do we need to work on? And... You know, I was probably a bit ratty, probably from not having a good game the, the previous Sunday or whatever. So, but I was forced to speak, and anyway, I couldn't hold my tongue. And my, I had an issue with this for a while, a few years now at this stage. And all it was was about getting a scoreboard and a clock in Fitzgerald Stadium. That when we're playing our A versus B games, that we know the scenario of the game, we know what decision should be made at this time. You know, and how to see out games, how to chase games. Mm. You know what? All your philosophies around around how you play. Like we're out in training for my whole Kerry career for seven or eight years before that, playing these wonderful trial games, and nobody's keeping the score. Nobody knows what's left. It's just blowing up at the end, and it's three nineteen to three twelve, and it's a great game. And there's goals and points everywhere, and everybody's happy leaving. But it's standard but practice in basketball to practice, put it up. Yeah, all oh, standard practice. When I was on the Irish team with Joey Boyle, and we used to do scenarios at every training session with David Simons and Joey. This is when I'm 15. You know, yeah. we, we're down we, we three, tra- we, we've down minute three. on the clock. Yeah, what are we trying to do there in team fouls? We're up 10, there's two and a half minutes to go. What are we trying to get into? What offense are we in to kill out the game? You know, are you putting the team on the line? Are you trying to get stops? Where do you stop? Where do you intervene in that thought process? You know, what, what has to get desperate to start putting people on the line? Knowing all them things, so when it's happening, there's, there's a plan. There's no panic, no, yeah. Yeah, there's no panic. And when you when you fast forward and, and in my role as a, an analyst on Sky Sports, when I watched the Dublin-Kerry first game last year, Dublin are down to 14 men. They're down a point. They're, they need the ball. Kerry have the ball. There's two minutes to go. And I'm looking at a team that where a goalkeeper comes out to the fullback and marks the full forward and sends that full back out to the centre back who the centre back then sends the, the or the full back then sends the centre back up to pick up the spare man so mm-hmm. it's 14 on 14 you know that's been talked about that's been rehearsed clearly they've, they've tried it and what happens the extra man goes out and he gets a huge turnover and Dublin go down the pitch and get the equalising point and then they're saved and they go out and win the All-Ireland comfortably enough the second day So when you bring it up in that session I would assume that that's an open door to push and you suggest it to your coach uh, <laughs> what is I, his response? I, uh, his response was, I'll, I, I'll give you a scenario. No, I was going on about scenarios. We should have scenarios in training. He said, I'll give you a scenario. No, he said, there was four balls kicked in between you and Jeff Caffrey and you won fuck all of them, he said. 
<laughs> and that's and if that. you want me to do his accent he said you won't fuck all of them <laughs> <laughs> and and I had nothing else to say and in fairness Mark Shea jumped in to, to bail me out and he said look I know look whatever Jack but like Kieran might have you know a bit of a point here like that you know we're getting ready for this Dublin team they're up and coming they've lost finals and, or they've lost semi-finals and quarter finals over the last seven or eight years they're they're just about to get over the line so we have to make sure we've all bases covered so we went out and we did scenarios and we did keep the score and of course it helped things but mm. it was probably too late if you look back at that Dublin game in 11 we're four points five points up with with eight or nine minutes to go and cough up the game so um, oh, so much happened in the last eight minutes now could you have prepared what actually happened in the last eight minutes I don't know mm. I don't know but certainly you know we hadn't been in that position enough in my eyes just in training because of course you're going to be in that situation in games and you learn from it and you say look the next time we're in that but it, it, that's not good enough not when you're playing the amount of games we play because it's so little you know we're, we've over 150 training sessions and, and 20 games so real quick as I said we've got our first kind of live event for patrons this Friday June 19th the Irishman Abroad monthly comedy club will take place Online, via Zoom, streamed into your living room with Deirdre O'Kane, Abandon Man and Danny O'Reilly providing the music. Danny O'Reilly of the Coronas, of course. It's a new swerve for us and hopefully the beginning of a lot of new kind of live streamed events. Given that we can't attend clubs, half of my life disappeared when that happened. So I doubled down on the podcast and I've been providing patrons with an awful lot more ever since. And you guys have been great. You've signed up and come over. With Irishman Abroad Inside Basketball on previous episodes like George Mumford, uh, Pat Burke and Susan Morn, uh, I've tried to give you an extra bit more there. There is tons more episodes of every type of podcast imaginable from artists to writers to actors politicians there's even a true crime series on there once you become a patron called irishman behind bars and that's about some of the worst miscarriages of justice in the history of the irish state i'm really proud of all that stuff there's hundreds of episodes there for you to enjoy i hope you'll come over and support it for the price of a pint a month it's not bad value Uh, i want to say a special shout out to our chosen charity partner i mentioned them at the top of the show jigsaw.ie jigsaw have been there may be a jigsaw workshop in the town that you come from and you may already know that for a lot of young people they were depending on those jigsaw workshops for their mental health for their consultation with someone face to face or even just a workshop each month where they got to talk things out and you know figure it out and figure out this complicated path of being a young person in the world today well of course all that's gone away now and it's had to move online to jigsawonline.e where they've moved all of the resources and turned their seminars into webinars and made those one-to-one interactions over the phone or FaceTime or Zoom. It's an incredible task, it costs money and if you can support them that'd be great. It's jigsaw.ie forward slash now. I can tell you right now that the money you give, whether it's a tenor or a regular donation, will go a long, long way to helping the mental health of young people across Ireland today. So tell me this, because, you know, when you describe the setups there of, a, a, you know, a couple of weeks out from an All-Ireland final and a coach set, having a meeting where it's a discussion meeting, it's not there's no physical training it's a discussion to get cards on the table you know it hints at the professionalism and the 
meticulous nature of the Kerry setup and the Dublin setup. You know, this is the understanding now is that the game's moved on so much that yes. GA is so uh, no stone unturned and so all encompassing that you sign a contract nearly to give your commitment to it with all your heart. And as you say, yeah. uh, Super League basketball or otherwise will be out of the question and a bootable offence were you found doing it nowadays. Yes. Did it ever become difficult to go from such a meticulous and stringent setup to a basketball team setup where maybe everybody hasn't fully committed their heart and soul to the basketball and that it is and I'm not doubting the, the level of commitment of lads in basketball teams up and down Ireland, but it's surely not the same as the Kerry setup. Uh, no, it was, you know, the, the the levels of commitment are, there's no comparison because of, I suppose, how elite the GA is. Now, the elite is, GA is like your college basketball, your college football. It, it is at a, it is at an all-time high, massive viewership numbers, massive interest, massive amount of numbers playing it. The players don't get anything, you know, but it's the professionalism of it is still, like if you, if you say that, that when I was playing with Kerry that I was a professional, that I was an amateur you know, you'd almost take it as an insult. Mm. You know, I, I'm not an amateur when I'm putting five nights a week into this and, you know, all my spare time is consumed by it. I don't go to weddings. I don't go to this. I keep my head down. You know, you don't live, you know, that life where, you know, do you want to go for dinner? Do you want to go for a few pints? We will, yeah. It's, oh, geez, I can't. No, geez, no, we can't drink. No, for the next five weeks, we're off it. You know, it, it's that. Whereas with the basketball, you know, and you even see it like, you know, you see, you see it with the NBA guys, you know, you see them having their their beer after a game and you know like even the last dance you're seeing them having more and you're hearing stories about fellas going on tears Dennis Rodman heading to Vegas etc you know doing wild things like that you know the game of basketball in Ireland is taken very seriously we train four nights a week we play four nights a week we train three and we have a game the weekend so four nights of the week we're going at it for two hours really so there is massive dedication to time and being there but you don't have the pressure and and the scrutiny on your life outside the pitch. So when you're playing with your basketball, you can go have your few pints after every game. You know, a few of our fellas have a pint after training on Thursday night. You know, we have a big game Saturday, but it's kind of their routine and you're not going to break it up because that's just, you know, they're not getting paid to play this. They're traveling to Letterburn to the country, representing Chile. You know, mm. I, I can't dictate to fellas that they can't live their life you know you'd be just barking up the wrong tree you'd lose them very quickly which is probably what Phil Jackson and Jordan had with, with Dennis Rodman he did, didn't want to lose him so yeah do what you want Dennis mm. you know you weights or stretching or foam rolling or gym or it's just a constant your day revolves around when can I get my foam rolling and when can I get my stretching and your diet's based around it so it is it's, it's poles apart in, in preparation levels I would say So you obviously like Anyone who excels at the sport of basketball in Ireland at underage levels the way you did, the US comes up as an option, as a consideration. How close did it come for you? And did you ever, and I know the answer to this, but I'll ask the question anyway. Did you ever have an experience of being presented with the gulf in skill, size and class of American underage players and Irish underage players? Probably didn't come across it too much, I would say. I was 19 going on 20, the, f the first league we won here in Ireland. And I had a coach at the time, a guy who coached under Lou Henson. 
a guy who recruited Tim Hardaway down to UTEP, a guy called Russ Bradbird, who wrote a very good book, Paddy and the Hardwood, about his two years in Ireland, going from the first team ever to go from last to first. Well, mm. I was on that team that was last my first ever year, and obviously I was on the team the year we won it, the year after. And Russ, in fairness to him, you know, I was on the carry in the 20s, the carry in the 21s at the time. I was, you know, they were saying that this fella might have a chance for carry, etc., from you know being a Kerry player at 20 I was I was going down that route So you're saying this coach that you had and I mean this is detailed really well again in the book if people are interested in this story but this coach who shows up I think it's worth hearing how this guy because you had a bit of a falling out with Tigers went to Brendan's before we get to the story of him presenting you with the possibility what happened between you and Tigers initially? We were playing a game in Killarney and our coach, we got very unfairly treated by the refs and our coach was was uh, trying to get us to sit down on the floor and kind of give up, like, you know, um, because it was, you know, it was, there were local referees and they were giving all the boys the calls and we couldn't get into the game and, you know, your men wanted to kind of pull us off the court and I didn't want to go off the court. I didn't want to quit or I didn't want to stop mm. just because the refs weren't playing. I said, you know, in my own head, I figured I was good enough to get us over the line, even with the refs fucking us you know what mm. I mean so in my head I was like we'll be fine Was that a common thing though was that a like, It wouldn't have really been a common thing no but he wanted us to sit down he said look we're going to sit down till we straighten this out and I was like man look we're not sitting down like we're playing the game and and yeah there was just a bit of a falling out after that we obviously went on to lose the game and it was just hassle and you know mm, Politics <laughs> Politics and yeah, I, w- I was upset after it and, and Brendan's were, were a new up and coming team in Tralee they would have been the poor relation at the time of the Tigers. The Tigers would have had more historical history, obviously, with the Super League team being so 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 successful. But I liked Charles O'Sullivan. He was the main man in Brendan's. I liked what he was doing. And I went there and played. And yeah, Russ came over then and got appointed as the Tralee coach, which at the time, you know, we two Americans in the league could have Bosman. So, you know, Tigers had a lot of very good players when they brought in the three professionals, along with John T. and Michal Cork and and these type of guys and you know he was ringing me this Russ guy oh look I know you're one of the youngest kind of best players in, in the country and you know we want to uh, I, I'm coming over to coach team next year and I want you to be with me and all this and I was kind of like going I was going still going to the Super League games that stage watching mainly the Americans play most of the games and I definitely thought with an American coming in that he wouldn't be obviously looking out for the Irish guys but how wrong I was about this coach in particular who's absolutely who's the best basketball coach I've ever had and he was just his manner about the way he, he, he approached it and you know he, his first game I'm up in the crowd watching the first game and this guy is starting fellas that I went to school with and that I was much better than you know and I'm kind of like going jeez he's actually playing all the Irish guys he started mm. two guys that I was clearly better than and he kept getting them in for two minutes here and there now they only played probably seven or eight minutes or you know even though they started they only played maybe ten minutes that's the way he kind of did it he'd start a fella to give him a bit of confidence with the four best fellas and you know, he might tell a fella, look, you should be starting, but you're actually not starting tonight. I'm going to start this guy, but you can come in from after three minutes. Okay, we're not going to, he's big thing is you're never going to lose the game in the first three minutes. Mm. But what you could do for that one guy is, is big. So yeah, after that game, I went home that night and I was like, geez, I want to play in the Super League. Charles said, look, you're good enough to play in the Super League. You know, there's a new American coach there and oh, you should go for it. And I rang him and he met me in a, in a famous pub in Tralee called The Broken. And um I always slag him for being a bit of a tight ass, but he was... Uh, <laughs> the bowl of soup know. and the steak. Yeah, the soup and the steak, yeah. So I ordered, I ordered. He, the, the men came down. I was out for a meal. The coach was taking me out. I said, this fella's coming from America. He's loads of money. He's been a college coach for 14 years. <laughs> 
So I ordered my T-bone steak, which is about £27 at the time, and there was, you know, there was chips, and I couldn't get enough. I was I was making sure I was coming from a tough enough time back then as an 18-year-old. So I was kind of, I was indulging in everything, and, and the woman asked, after I made my big order, she said to the coach, what do you like? And he just said, olive bowl of soup. <laughs> and uh, basically, he only brought, like, 40 or 40 pounds or something with him, so he couldn't get anything else, but... Yeah, look, he, he said, look here, and I told you, and I said, look, Russ, I'm sorry, I didn't trust you, I didn't know you, how am I to know you, you know, I, you're ringing me in the phone saying you want to play, I'm like, that's great, like, I'm sure you've, you know the recruiting game in America, is a lot of fellas make a lot of promises, and then, you know, I commit, and then you don't keep your promises, and I'm riding the bench for the year, mm. when I'm trying to play football and get on teams, etc., so I was kind of like, I needed to make sure I was playing, and after watching you the last day, and he was like, okay, look, you can train for a month, and prove to me that you really want this and, and I look at you and I said no problem I put his hand off for it but literally 10 days into the to the trial period I was killing of him training I was probably the outside of the pros I was probably the best player and uh, yeah it was kind of you know Michal Quirk was out that season and he was still playing with Strand Road locally in, in the football championship and I was kind of looking to get in there and and be be the man and and kind of I think on the uh, after the ten days I approached Russ, kind of say look Russ I'm ready and we were playing um, Delta Notre Dame Anthony Jenkins and them at the time and yeah I went out and and he he said no he said you're not playing I said look Russ it's a cup game it's the biggest game of the year you know I'm ready and you know and he said no and he stuck to his and I always give him credit for sticking to his guns like that. And we lost the cup game and we actually had Notre Dame back in Tralee the following week in the league game, which he then allowed me to play in my first game, even though it was like four or five days early. He said, look, you proved you've been very dedicated. You're, you know, you're staying on after training. And, and he gave me he gave me the chance and I 15 points in my first game and in a one point win. And I was marking Lenny McMillan, who, who played at a very high level in America as well. And I was marking him down the stretch of the game. And, and absolutely... That was my first playing experience in the Super League, and and I was hooked even more yeah. hooked than I ever was after that. Even though we went on to have a, a, a an eighteen and four season, um, that one win was 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 worth Special, it. Special, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a side of Irish sport that, like you say, it's niche, and it's always been niche. What do you? Like, because the passion's there, the like the skills there, the entertainment value is there. What do you attribute that to then? That this game hasn't, you know, exploded in popularity in the country since that kind of time when it really did have looked like a window of time when it could, you know, push its way into the national conversation. Oh yeah, no, for 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 a while it definitely was in the in the in the conversation. The late eighties, it was it was in the conversation. It was on Sports Stadium every Saturday. It was it was legit, and I think that that helped it to be legit where they were showing it and obviously the caliber of players were getting Mario Eli came over you know Terry Strickland Laverne Evans all these guys were were you know absolute unbelievable players you know Kelvin Troy who who's who I played with his his son-in-law Paul Dick Kel, Kelvin's a Hall of Famer on Basketball Ireland Kelvin was marking Larry Bird like you know for Rutgers and, and marking him well and came over just didn't make the NBA and you know, and came over here and and was a superstar and lived here for the rest of his life. That's what happened to a lot of these guys when they came over. They were treated like royalty and they were paid well and they were loved and they figured out that this, this is this is a kind of an enjoyable, easy lifestyle. So mm-hmm. it was huge then, but for now it's not there. And I think until it gets some bit of TV exposure, till somebody comes up and says, you know what, this mightn't be bad on Saturday night, 
for two hours to cover home games in, in venues that have great atmospheres and stuff. And, you know, sure, like if we were able to tell the crowd in Tralee that Tina G were coming and we need to get ready and put on a big show for the crowd, like the place would be rocking. And if you've got a good game, people would watch again next Saturday night. It's it's just somebody taking the plunge to put it on. Um, do you reckon, yeah? Do you think yeah, it I is do. I just reckon that? it's a huge part of it because if it's on TV, then all the radios are talking about it. They're talking about who players signed where players are in the league, you know, it gets even more high profile. But the biggest mm. thing is you've kids sitting down that like basketball that are watching local guys playing on a Saturday night and they're going, I could do that. And that's... But that's it is that, it the motivator the Because it has exploded, really. Like, it has exploded. It like has. This. It has. It's definitely... Like, you can you can see the very fact that I've been able to create this podcast and for people to be like, yes, this is a good idea. And the fact that people are listening to it right now it will tell you the resurgence in popularity. Is it though, do, like you you attribute putting it on the TV and actually letting kids see it as the reason why it would expand and grow further? Is that it though? Like, or is there something in the way? Is there anything to be said for the way it's coached, the way it's placed in the context of schools and our communities? That like, I think that sometimes one of the the biggest problems the game had when I was younger was, first of all, the number of sports that were prioritized ahead of it. Just 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 the sheer numbers of, you know, uh, the battle we had to get indoor soccer off the court when, you know, it's piss and rain outside. The football lads outnumber the basketball lads. So they're taking the court that's that. And, you know, from that perspective, it seemed like if you want physical activity and you're a youngster, you're going to get more of it and more opportunities playing football or soccer just on that basis, even if you've no aspirations to ever appear on television, but you just want to get a good run around and crack with the lads. Is there anything in what I'm saying there? Look, it's never going to be higher than hurling football soccer I think it could be up there at rugby but it's a long way behind yes in this country mm. and you're right and we are prioritised by a lot of main other sports but this is the main indoor sport mm. and I think for people you know when they're seeing the the rain we're getting now during the winters and the bad weather and the colds and all that kind of stuff you know I, you know, dropping your kids down to your local basketball club can do nothing but improve them in every aspect. You become mm. a team player. There's only five of you on the team. You have to learn how to talk, communicate with people. If you have an issue, if you want to praise somebody, you know, and the level of coaches is good now in Ireland. You know, the level of coaches, every guy that's involved in the school team has, an, has a much more of an idea than maybe when I even played or even before that, where it would have been the, the PE teacher would have been taking it. He might have never played basketball in his life, but mm. he had to coach the school team and it was, you know, very remedial. Whereas now most guys are, are clued in. And as I said, you're, 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 everybody with their phones is watching NBA or some NBA at some time of the day in Ireland now at the moment. So I just think if you could manage to find a way to, to, to get the Irish Super League on TV, get a, get a sponsor for the league, number one, get it on TV and build it up in the communities and, and, and actively go around and promote the games and really do like we do in Chile is, is push the life out of it like and, and talk to local clubs that are maybe 10 miles away and say, look, Instead of five euros, if you get a bus in, we'll let your gang in for two euros. And next thing you buses, we had 100 in from Dua this year. They took up a whole set of bleachers with, with their yellow basketball tops to come in and watch the Chile play. You know, uh, if you do that and you rock in atmospheres and you get decent commentators 
and and you've a camera crew following it every Saturday night. I think you know. I think it's something that people would watch. I there's certainly a lot of stuff on TV that I look at and kind of go, Jesus Christ, like yeah. what? Yeah, well, know, I often uh, think that like as much as especially with know, how hungry we'll be for live sport going forward, Janet. You know what I mean? It's going to be, yeah, no, you know, yeah, it might uh, be the right time to. to it to might strike. be. It might be, and like you say, I think that the thing that comes across with everybody I speak to for this show is that there's something special about this game specifically. I mean, Pat Burke didn't think that there w- that it was the game specifically, but that it was the being together, the the functionality of the team dynamic that made it special. But for me, there there is and I don't know if you'd agree with this. There is there's something that is unquantifiable in this sport. Maybe it's for me anyway, as a kind of youngest child raised in the countryside, it was the solitary nature of it. The fact that I, you know, had an awful lot of anxiety as a youngster and then you could be alone and like conceivably really, really improve at this sport by oneself. Yeah, that's a big that's a big thing with it. It's 100 percent you're right in that. Like so the you had that you had that experience, too. Yeah, yeah, you had it, yeah, and like, you know, you can go out and shoot 500 shots in an hour or two in a basketball court. If you try to take 500 shots down the football pitch, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be there, there for weeks. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So it's it's definitely something, and that's the addictive nature of it, and that's what I think you're getting at is, is you know, how much people fall for this game when they get any bit of a knack at it at all. Like, you know, and I have my camp, I do two camps a year here in Chile for the last five years, and massive numbers and you know like making a kid go away you see seeing a kid's face the first time he reaches the ring seeing a kid's face the first time he gets it in you know you see when they're kind of bouncing out to the back of the line and you can see them active actually actively delighted with what's just after happening (laughs) you know it kind of makes it all worth it but what you have is you know you've that kid going home going i made one today i can make one out the side of my house mom will you get me a ring next thing your ring goes up now you've another kid that is hopefully going down but it is harder and I don't know what you think it is but in this modern day as Dave Hopla who I had over for one of the camps the mm. famous shooting coach he said uh, you know the devil's device is the issue you know the devil's device is the issue which is the mobile phone the screen why, yeah which mm. is why you know no hold my hand up when I was 13 out the back shooting for 4 or 5 hours the options inside were sitting down watching Coronation Street with my mum and my nan mm. Yeah, you know there was one TV. You you know we didn't have a PlayStation or a computer. You know we had videotapes, and I was either watching come fly with me late at night after they'd finished watching their TV, or I was out the back for my shooting. Mm. And that was you know, and you know, geez, if you can get a friend that's into it with you, and you can have two guys that are kind of nonstop at it, it would be massive. Well, it does like, and it's clear to me from the discussions that we've had in the last now, like I've only known you the last since lockdown. And yes. uh, it's clear to me the grow and the love of it is the same. And the, you know, the thing that I really adore about it is passing it down to my son, passing him the love and knowing that, you know, this is a gift. Like I'm, I'm actually giving him something that wherever he goes, he'll be able to find a ball he'll be able to find a hoop like I've traveled the world doing stand up comedy. I remember going to New Zealand and finding the sports shop near my hotel, 
getting a chain link net and getting the fella down in the park opposite the hotel to put the net up for me. And suddenly I had eight hours entertainment sorted between shows and that that kind of uh, the foreverness of that, the, that that's that's really special. Now, one of the stories that you told about this in your store, in your book that drove that point home to me was one. I don't know if you're tired of telling it, but it's being <laughs> in Miami on the trip with the Kerry team. Oh, uh, yes. And an impromptu game kicks off. Maybe you can explain to people to close the podcast just how <laughs> joyful and special this it was. Yeah, well, look, just to touch back on your point before I answer it as well, like, you know, being out the back here with my daughter shooting basketball last night, like, you know, she's in her pajamas and her socks. And it's past her bedtime and she's like, come on, Dad, you know, we shoot a few shots. And like straight away, I jumped up and said, yeah. And then Hillary was like, she goes, Hillary was like, you know, my wife was like, she's this cop. She knows. She, go, she knows you got played. She's, no, yeah. But no, in fairness. So I was I was kind of, you know, I had the basketball ring out the back. But really, since this lockdown, I've had the time with her to, mm. to explain to her and to follow through and to bend her knees. And she's four and a half. You know what I mean? But she's making all these shots now. You know, she's 14 from mm. 20. She's, you know, she's 16 from 20. She's really getting into, you know, no, wow. the ring and the backboard are forgive, are forgive, forgivable to bad shots. Yeah. You could, you could, you could, you could baseball pass it off the backboard and fall into the <laughs> ring. You know, that's just the way, that's the yoke <laughs> I bought. It's, it's, it's one of these stand up basketball. I know rings. the ones, yeah. And so, like, but you're right. I am passing her down a gift. And, like, if all she ever gets off it is that bit of enjoyment shooting around, the bit of enjoyment when she goes down to play with her. When Fergal, who plays with the Warriors, he does a, an academy in Brendan's and I bring her down there and she runs around and loves it with them. But she never really was getting into the basketball until the lockdown. But since then, like I caught her on my Instagram story a few days ago, she was out shooting by herself. Like she would have never shot by herself before the, before this happened. So I think she has the little love for it now and the little bug for it. And, and she's starting to realize that it's cool if you're making lots of shots. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, like this, like, cause I'm, I'm reacting super or positively, <laughs> probably over the top high five. Yeah. We've on Steph Curry, we've on Steph Curry, uh, high handshake. five, uh, yeah, handshake. So, so we've all that, but yeah, I know you're right on, on the gift of passing it down on the Miami story. Yeah. Look, it, it probably tells a few things about me. One is my competitive edge, you know, not wanting to go away, you know, a loser or not wanting to, to, to leave it at that. Um, we were over, we were over playing, Locally, I bought a basketball, and Flamingo Park is is the place down in South Beach where where all the courts are. And I've been there on holidays three or four times before that with my wife. We love we love it down there. And you know, Hillary might be going shopping for the afternoon, so I go away down and play four or five hours of basketball with the local lads. So I knew the place and I knew the courts and knew how to get there. So I took all the Kerry boys. We we're on a Kerry team holiday after winning the All Ireland. And yeah, we went down there and we were playing on the court around three or four o'clock and. Uh, we had a big meal booked at eight o'clock in, in some famous chicken place in Miami. I forget what it's called now, but it's like a very posh KFC, basically. It was a restaurant, but the fried <laughs> chicken was unbelievable. So yeah. we did all booked in the girls and we were meeting the girls there at eight o'clock. So we're playing away and like, the idea was go down and play until six o'clock, go home and have a shower, jump into the pool or whatever and, and get ready and go out. But after the two hours of us playing, you know, uh, I, I could tell there was boys gathering around the court looking for a game, you know, and there was a group down the bottom basket and they all looked like they were basketballers. Like I'm out here no, with with footballers, you know what I mean. But a few of them have played. I'm playing with Tommy Walsh, who played a year of Super League. He was an Irish international at 15. He was massive guy. David Moran, who was a big strong. He was our kind of Dennis Rodman guy, who had no interest in anything else but boxing fellas and elbow and fellas and grabbing <laughs> rebounds. 
And then we'd Barry John Keane, who also was a corner forward for Kerry, who was a very handy point guard. And we had a guy called Jack Sherwood, whose sister Emma Sherwood played for the Irish team over here. So we had a solid enough five, even though we were all kind of footballers. No, we, we looked like a bunch of Billy Hiles. Like we all had the short charts. We all had Adidas runners, nobody had basketball boots. And the boys were decked out in their Jordans and their long shorts and their Kobe's and they looked they looked apart. So they kind of, you know, very quickly came up to me and said, look, you know, you're taking up the court. We'll play, you know, up to 15 and and the winner takes the court or whatever. I was like, yeah, look, we're, yeah, we're getting ready to go. So that's no problem. So I picked my five and we had a bit of a crowd gathered down there. A few of the girls and wives had come down to watch and, and, and it was going full metal jacket. And the boys were really good. And there was a guy called iRobot who, who was in the N1 mixtapes back in the day, a guy called CJ Curtis. And, uh, you know, he was 6'4", looked like Jordan, kind of black, shaved head, had the, had the game. He was about 40 at this stage, but you could tell he was a complete baller. And, uh, yeah, they ran us out 15-7 pretty easily, you know. And um, he's all high fives afterwards, and there's obviously another five ready to come on. And we're walking away, and we're all going out, and we're just coming to the exit of Flamingo Park. And I start rubbing the back of the head with Chillery. says, it's a big tell of mine when I'm not happy about something. And, you know, I turned around and I said, boys, come on. Come on, we'll go down and we'll play them. We'll play, they're going to win that game. We'll play them once more. You know, we were shit and we were after playing for two hours and we had no break and they were fresh. And I was trying to give, sell it to the boys. So they all came back in a way and all the girls came back and we had a big crowd again. And so we're underneath the basket and I kind of gave CJ the nod that we'll play when, when you're ready. And they won the next game. And uh, CJ came up and kind of, you know, do you mind if we guys have a five-minute break? And I was like, yeah, no problem, I have a five-minute break, I'll shoot around here with the boys. Next thing, all of a sudden, there's another crew lens on, and they're at the bottom basket while CJ's boys are getting a drink of water, and they maintain, they come up to me, one of their guys comes up, and he's kind of like, yo, we're on. And I was like, no, 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 we're on, man. And he was like, no, 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 we're on. I said, no, you didn't have your five. I said, we'd five here under the basket. I said to CJ that we'd be coming back playing a game, and, you know, and your man was... Your man was like, come on, boys, you got hammered and you're, you know, you're not good enough. And I said, look, man, we'll be fine. Don't worry, we're going to play again. And we've had a little break. And yeah, we went out and played and we played unbelievably well. And it was a, a titanic game and it was it was 13 all. And it was, you know, it had a bit of everything. And we really put it up to the boys now and we're a bit fresher. And our fitness is maybe coming to the to the fore, even though we're partying every night in Miami. We're probably <laughs> a bunch of Dennis Rodmans. But we get it down the stretch and I get a pass out in the wing and, and shoot a tree on Curtis. And uh, nothing but net. And I'm running down the court high-fiving all the boys. Because the boys at this stage, they went from kind of hating us, saying that we were useless, that we were no good. To now all of a sudden we're beating CJ's crew. <laughs> who were obviously like the crew of the park or whatever like because that's what they kept saying oh CJ's crew's in trouble he's white boy <laughs> and at one stage Dave Moran grabbed a rebound and uh, ripped it out of one of the boys' hands under the basket like pure football thing no like and uh, next thing one, your man said god damn it these white boys are strong <laughs> one of the boys is like <laughs> you know and uh yeah, man, we won 13-15 and we walked out of the park like we were after winning the, the World Championships and we were just buzzing for the night and uh, leaving the court, your man, Curtis Joe came up to me and he's like, look, man, I'm a big DJ there. I do DJing as well on the side and I'm in a big club tonight and I'll put you on the list, you, your squad and the girls, bring them all down. We get you tables and table service and... I was like, fuck it, man. I said, I swear to God, Yardbird was the place in Miami, the chicken place. I said, we're going to Yardbird for dinner, man. We're probably going to have a few bottles of wine and probably hit home. We're flying out early in the morning. I said, if we'd have met you yesterday, I'd have snapped your hand off to go down to the club tonight. <laughs> but uh, So, yeah, no, we still touching in on, on Instagram. I no followed way. Him on Instagram. He, yeah, and he still comments on some of my basketball stuff during the season. And I'd be responding to him and stuff. And all came from, from the love of the game where a bunch of these boys... 
you know, underestimated a bunch of Billy Hiles uh, from Ireland. Um, <laughs> With their All-Ireland medals in their back pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is, it, like, what I love about the story is that, and the ending there of still keeping in touch with them is, you know, to me, the most beautiful thing of the whole thing is that connection that it gives you for across communities wherever you are in the world absolutely yeah absolutely there, there is like, that yeah, special sure. thing the Irish men who you nobly they thought that, that was the crack they were having with me afterwards I did a few behind the back fake passes <laughs> and laid it up on the other side and they were like Jesus Christ this guy's an Irish man who nobly like they're hilarious some of the comments their boys were coming out with like basically had us pissing ourselves running back and forth like you know and, and, and you know how hot they were getting when we were scoring and I'm like I was driving past and scoring like god damn it man and what you know losing their life like we can't lose these Irish fights like there's no way <laughs> oh so, lord uh, it's, was, it's your Monte Carlo the, game that's what that, 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 that is that was the buzz of it I think yeah. which are all good times and, and a great experience yeah yeah well Kieran, thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's been a really fun chat and uh, yeah hopefully we'll get to play a bit of one on one at some point absolutely man absolutely no better there you have it. Contact the show. Spread the word. Give us a rating on iTunes. Kieran Donahue can be found, of course, on Off the Ball on Newstalk.com or on the podcast I made with him over there with Newstalk about the last dance we went and we covered every episode as it was released. It was great crack. Gotten a few rows, had a few chats about the different characters involved in the Bulls. So if you enjoyed the bit of banter between the two of us and you want to hear more, head over to Newstalk.com and you can get yourself access to that for free. Uh, next time on Inside Basketball, a man who lived the dream and then went on to make the dream come true for countless others. Paul Cummins is on the show next week. Fella I went to school with. Work has begun on season two and I'd love to get your input on it. Maybe you have a basketball connection or a story of your own, something crazy or something out there in terms of this, or maybe just something that's never been told before. Get in touch. Irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com. I reply to every single email personally, so don't worry about it disappearing into the ether. I'll get back to you right away. I want to say a massive thanks to everybody who has been in touch already and expressed gratitude and appreciation for what we're doing in this series and how I guess it's sparking more podcasts. You're seeing more uh, Irish basketball podcasts starting up and that's great to see. And uh, there's a new balls.ie live chat that started uh, with the Irish basketball and Jackie Hurley. I'm so happy to see all this happening and maybe when we get uh, live games going back in Ireland we can get out more people to go down and see them just like Kieran said we need to get down there and support these clubs but I can't wait for you to hear the final episode in season one with Paul Cummins I've such uh, a lot of work already done on season two you're gonna love it but my thanks to Brian Connolly for his production to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible and of course to Kieran Donny for giving me his time and all of that honesty in this episode and I'll see you next time or maybe if you sign up to Patreon I'll see you on Friday face to face at the first ever Irishman Abroad monthly comedy club. Come on, sign up. It's only the price of a pint.